Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it is a pleasure and a joy to have with us Mark Zay. Mark uh, has been with us before. He is a well-known local uh, <laughs> attorney who has taken on Republicans, Democrats, but he's, he's a great local attorney, and his latest client is the whistleblower. So when we come back, we'll have a few words with Mark and get right to it. And we're back. And so, Mark, I guess since it is just ask the question, I've had you here before, I'll, I'll just, just ask the question. Um, I have seen on your Twitter feed and I have seen on Facebook and I've seen in the news, uh, life's gotten a little interesting for you, has it not, since you took on this case? Yeah, I would say that. And thank you for having me on again, Brian. You know, it, I appreciate it, you being here. And this is your first in-depth interview, I'm very happy to say. So uh, thanks for being here, really. Sure. You know... It, it has been a different experience for me than it has for my colleague on this case, Andrew Bakai, because quite frankly, I'm used to this. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I've handled a lot of high-profile cases over the last 25 years and gone through the mechanisms where for days on end, I'm being besieged by the media, Congress, whatever. Now, this case is clearly different. One, it has a staying power that no other case I've ever had has, so that it's literally been, I think I entered the case a month ago, and it's been nonstop every single day. And obviously this case pertains to the President of the United States, uh, to such an extent that the President of the United States is actually engaged substantively with the matter. Uh, not had that Today before. he tweeted out, uh, where's the whistleblower? All right. Yeah, like, where's Waldo? Um, That's I was going to tweet that yeah. back, but I didn't. <laughs> I know where Waldo is, but... <laughs> but know, we ain't telling we're you. We're not telling anybody else. Isn't that kind of the antithesis of what the Whistleblower Act is about? I mean, to, to step forward and where's the whistleblower in the point that the whistleblower doesn't have to be seen? Right. The whole purpose is, under the law, is for whistleblowers to come forward. In fact, U.S. law encourages almost... One could argue obligates, quite frankly, that whistleblowers or individuals come forward as whistleblowers report waste, fraud, abuse, government misconduct, gross mismanagement, and the like. Uh, and there are provisions for anonymity. And in fact, whistleblower complaints can be filed anonymous. I mean, literally, one can drop a note in a box or slip a note under the door of the inspector general's office at whatever agency without any attribution as to who that person is with an allegation that, you know, John Schmeck, and hopefully there's nobody named John Schmeck in the federal government, John Schmeck, who works in the EPA and is a GS-15, is 
uh, having a is engaged in a financial relationship with a vendor who we do contracts or business with and look at you know ABC vendor that would be enough for the IG of the EPA to be engaged in an investigation and see let's one is there a vendor ABC is there a John Schmeck as an employee and is there a contract that exists and as those facts might bore themselves out then let's find out it would be an easy thing to do and you know nobody would ever know the identity the IG wouldn't know the identity of the person so uh, it, that is how our process works, and there is no right to confront the accuser or anything like that. Uh, that's in the criminal justice system. We're not in a criminal justice system. We're in an administrative federal process. Do you think the uh, the president and members of the GOP understand that but are uh, clouding the issue by, by pushing this agenda that the whistleblower should be known and he should be he wants to meet the whistleblower he said he wants to meet the whistleblower right. I mean I'll, I'll take it further I, I mean I think a lot of members of Congress on both sides of the aisle do not fully understand the dynamics of the laws surrounding whistleblower protection and whatever their comments are they may have different motives and agendas and reasons for why they're stating something but I, I think as a general rule the laws surrounding whistleblower or whistleblowing are not well known or understood uh, outside a small sphere of the federal government who deals with this day in, day out. And, and even then, quite frankly, I've seen people inside the inspector general's offices who really don't have a fundamental grasp of the law either. So putting aside who the whistleblower is, isn't the issue what content, what's the content of the complaint that's most significant? Right. It's always about the content. It's, it's not about the identity. Now, could you come up with a fact pattern where the identity of a whistleblower matters? Yeah, of course you could. If it were, say, a meeting of three people and one of those individuals say, said that person A stated the following and wanted me, ordered me to do something illegal, right. well, there's only three people in the room. Now, you'd want to know, okay, can we substantiate it? Let's see what person B or 2 or whatever numbers or letters I said said. Would they substantiate it? Or is it going to be a he said, she said, he said, he said, whatever dynamic of that, uh, which would obviously then bring into account the credibility of the person. Are they a disgruntled person? What is their possible bias, etc.? But when you have a situation like this one, without going into any details beyond what's out there publicly, where, quite frankly, any number of people who were aware of the phone call, either because they were on the call, which there were quite a number of people, or they read the transcript, which is quite a number of people, or they were told about it by other people, could still bring forward this allegation, and their motivation or bias is completely irrelevant to the facts of the particular case. So what facts in this particular case do you think are most significant that we should focus on? You know, the nature of the complaint, every sentence that's in the whistleblower complaint that was revealed by the White House, declassified by the White House, that is the operative document. That speaks for the whistleblower in this case. In fact, it speaks for the intelligence community's inspector general in this case, who determined it was a credible, urgent concern that had been verified 
uh, as such. Now, they didn't get to finish their investigation. They only did a preliminary inquiry, but the information is out there so that the whistleblower is actually completely irrelevant at that stage, even at that early stage. But for, for the say, say someone's just tuning in, they don't know what this issue is about, what would you want them to know is most relevant that the whistleblower, the content that the whistleblower has that you believe is most relevant to the current investigation? You know, I don't even go there because to be perfectly honest, we the lawyers didn't see the complaint until everybody else saw it in the public. And that is often the case when we have whistleblowers who are from the national security community. But intelligence spelling community. it out, it's, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it's this whistleblower was concerned because it seemed like the President of the United States uh, on a telephone call, well, basically what the President admitted to in, in the statement of facts that he gave us from the telephone call. Yeah, I mean, that, w that was the concerns. I mean, anybody can read the complaint and read and understand what the concerns were that this individual had. Actually, multiple individuals expressed. That's the whole basis. Uh, so there's more it. than one whistleblower? Yeah, absolutely. How I mean, many? There are, there are, I don't know the exact number. Because are you we, representing all of them? I, I, unfortunately, not. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully so. Because there's always we we have very frequently we do represent multiple whistleblowers in cases because uh, they're colleagues. They come to us, and it makes it facilitates the efficiency of the representation much more so. But anyone, and this is something that people don't understand. Why isn't there a second whistleblower complaint? It's completely complaint. unneeded because. There were multiple people who spoke, were interviewed by the intelligence community inspector general. By law, anyone who spoke to the ICIG made a protected disclosure, and whether they know it or want it or not, they are legally a whistleblower. So, but it's more than more than two, less than a bread box full, right? Less right. than a dozen. Just, just from reading Atkinson, the I, the ICIGs memo, you know that there are multiple whistleblowers, but the exact number would be known by the IG. I'm not you sure anybody else. Know. I don't even know. Do you, do you know this much? There's the concern of the, the pushback has been uh, this whistleblower met with Schiff before the it was filed. Is that a legitimate concern? Yeah, I mean, it's not accurate for one, and the House has made so a comment what is on accurate? it. Um, we, we've tweeted out that there was absolutely no contact between the whistleblower or any member of Congress, nor any of the legal staff and any member of Congress. What now, did occur? Uh, there was a, an interaction on procedure between a staffer and the whistleblower, which is in entirely common and happens all the time. Yeah. How do I file with, a complaint? With the oversight committees. Yeah. Is that what that's happened where, basically? That's where federal employees generally go to. They go to their colleagues who they know, friends, whatever it might be, uh, on the staffs of an oversight committee, whatever oversight committee it might be, and ask, what do I do? What's the process that I follow? And what was reported publicly from the House was that the staffer said, go hire a lawyer and go talk to the IG. And that's exactly what the So Adam Schiff didn't help put together the whistleblower complaint? Nope, no contact. I have dealt with Adam Schiff before when I represented those who were in Benghazi uh, when the ambassador was murdered back in 2012. 
and I was I handled six CIA employees cases before the select committee on Benghazi as well as before the House Intelligence Committee and Adam Schiff was the ranking member at the time so I you know I was representing basically all the Republicans interests at that moment at least that was their interpretation I was just representing clients yeah and well now the Republicans say you're far to the left you're a liberal uh, snowflake and you're out to get the president yeah, I, I mean, I suppose I was when I represented the RNC about Hillary Clinton's emails, when I represented the Daily Caller and FOIA cases, FOIA, a FOIA case and FOIA requests about Hillary Clinton's emails, uh, the Wall Street Journal and FOIA matters, uh, Republican members of Congress, I represented, technically still do, but the late Walter Jones from North Carolina, great guy, uh, unfortunately passed away earlier this year in FOIA lawsuits. Uh, you know, it's it's a joke for anyone to say I'm on the right or the left. In fact, when I sued Congressman Murtha, the late Congressman Murtha, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, back in 2006, and Sean Hannity loved the fact that I did that and praised me when I was on his, his show, Hannity and Combs, uh, Glenn Greenwald, the bastion of the left, ultra left, slammed me. Uh, for saying I was being paid for by Karl Rove and I was only out to stop the anti-war movement. And now the right says I'm being paid by the left. by Soros. And yeah, so <laughs> I've I, never gotten one of those checks. Have I, you? Yeah, right. You know, Karl Rove or Soros, you want to send me some money, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, be my guest. I don't know. I, actually, I was on Fox News once with... Carl Rove, and, and, and the line that I remember the most was, he goes, I think Mark's right. <laughs> there you go. On, on whatever the heck we were talking about. Well, we've become so divided in this country, we, it seems like everybody has to place you in a box in order to understand you. They can't understand that your motives are actually what you claim they are, uh, which I find hard to deal with, but uh, it, it is as it is. As you said, you, you're used to it, but let's talk a little bit about... Uh, the process. The whistleblower comes forward, it's been filed, and now we've had the president come out on the South Lawn of the White House and encourage, basically, he encouraged China to do what he claimed he, that wasn't done in the whistleblower complaint. Uh, we've had Mick Mulvaney come forward and say there was a quid pro quo. We've had Ambassador Taylor testify as to the fact that uh, the president, there were two shadow, uh, two different types of foreign policy going on in Ukraine. Uh, the official policy, and then the shadow policy that was run by Giuliani and his friends that uh, Bolton referred to as a drug deal. I, I don't think you refer to something as a drug deal unless you are implying that it's illegal. Uh, so what's the relevance of the of your whistleblower at this point? It's kind of gone blown past the whistleblower, hasn't it? It is very much blown past with all the additional witnesses that have come forward who have far superior knowledge much you know, greater amount of knowledge, including the president yeah, who confessed, but, but you know, each, and again, once the complaint was released and all these other witnesses have, have come forward, uh, there, there really, there is no role there. there there's no need. Uh, the whistleblower's complaint sets forth what it does. And that was all that was needed to set it in motion for whatever might happen. There's, there's no objective, of the complaint. Uh, well, is there any additional related? information that should be brought forward from the whistleblower? I, you know, I don't, I don't see what it would be. Could there be additional questions to ask? I mean, you know, as a trained lawyer, I can always come up with questions 
based on a document say this is what I would like to know. But you and every reporter, right? Right, and every and everyone can certainly do that. But it's a question of you got to balance it in this case. You know, we want whistleblowers to come forward, and I'm not talking about we want whistleblowers to come forward now about President Trump. I want whistleblowers to come forward in, in the next administration, which might be Democratic. Or if it's not Democratic in 2020, maybe it's Democratic in 2024, and I want a whistleblower to come forward then when they see uh, some sort of wrongdoing, if they have a reasonable belief, which is what the law requires, just a reasonable belief. They could be wrong. That's, that's not right. part of the factoring equation. But if what the focus on the whistleblower is undermining the entire United States whistleblower system by causing an effect that will deter future whistleblowers from coming forward. That is not what the law wants. That is not what the policies of the United States want. It is not what any member of the American public should ever want. We need these people, uh, regardless of who they might be, and usually their motivations, and even if there's a bias, is completely irrelevant. Un to gathering facts. To gathering facts. It's the facts that matter. So, with that being said, should the whistleblower or whistleblowers that you represent testify? I don't think so. I don't see any need for it. And the reality, again, is why risk any type of exposure for then anything other than some sort of partisan or political gain? Anyone who is advocating any information about the whistleblower or whistleblowers as individuals is doing nothing more than deflecting from the facts of the case and trying to deflect from the substance of the allegations and the content. That's where that focus should be. And again, that's whether it was a Republican or Democratic administration. We have to protect the sanctity of the system. And if they... If someone exposes who this whistleblower or any of the others might be, it, all it's going to do is deter any future whistleblowers. And that is not in the national interest of the United States. That may not be in the national interest of the United States, but it may well be in the interest of certain politicians. As True? A, I have no doubt. As you know, distracting to But hey, look, I, I've seen, I saw Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, a Democrat from Texas, was advocating that the whistleblower come forward and testify. So, I mean, it's on both sides. Again, I think because they misunderstand what the need is as well as the balance and the risk to the system, that type of uh, promotional objective is pursued. Well, in, in the interest of, of uh, getting the story out, remember the, you know, the old uh, saying that the grand jury's entitled to every man's testimony. Uh, I'm sure you heard that once or twice. Hey, I've been before a grand yeah. jury, so, <laughs> so I understand. And, and that's kind of what we're looking at as far as Congress is, or right now the House is is acting as that grand jury, trying to determine if they're going to you know, file a charge, which would be, you know, indict, which would be the impeachment. The trial would be in the Senate. So, sure. But the it, prosecutors decide still who appears before the grand jury and controls whether or not those Correct. individuals can ask questions or not ask questions of witnesses. So in the interest of, of getting all the facts out, if the whistleblower or whistleblowers, as you've said, are protected and their identity is guaranteed and, and there are certain uh, uh, guarantees in place that they're not named, 
would you recommend that they come forward and testify? Uh, at, at this stage, no, I, I wouldn't because I still see the, the risk is just too great and the gain is too little. Uh, and that's not just for them individually, right. that's and, for the process. And, and, and as a reporter, of course, I always want all the facts I can get. As a lawyer, you're the same way. But let me then play devil's advocate and say, why should the whistleblower come forward? Or I'll play your role for a second. Why should the whistleblower come forward? Everything is already in motion. The whistleblowing has put it in motion, and now it's gone past the whistleblower. It's gone way past. Way, way past. I mean, they're they're so insignificant and irrelevant to what exists. And there's no additional facts that they could supply that would enhance the investigation at this point. I doubt it. Not Certainly nothing that would ever be substantial. I mean, look, it's a small, when the reality is it's a small environment of individuals who are aware or possess knowledge about the call or how... Uh, White House operations might work. The Congress knows who those people are. They, right. they don't need the whistleblower to find out who was on the national security staff, who was on the president's staff, or anything like that. You know, there, there's there's nothing out there. I mean, they can talk to former uh, individuals who were in past administrations to find out what the practice was in the White House at the time. They can talk, and another administration, they can talk to former people who were there in this administration to find out, and then they can try to obviously talk to current members of the administration uh, inside the White House to find out what and why the practice has been. You know, the, the ICIG would have had the same problem that the Congress is having, quite frankly, if the ICIG had been able to continue with his investigation, which would have happened but for the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel opinion, which undercut the IG's authority, saying they had no jurisdiction and then being told by the DNI that that's the policy. They would have tried to get access to the White House. And I, I will say just as an historic matter, again, doesn't matter if it's President Trump's administration. The In past administrations, the White House would have fought back against any IG in its own administration trying to get access to White House information. I, right. mean, that, I would have expected that in, in an Obama anyway, administration. Yeah. So then the question becomes, as the whistleblower's attorney, how relieved were you, Mark, when the uh, president released the transcript? It was a tremendous burden off of everybody's shoulders that it happened that way. Now, again, what was the ultimate, the original objective was just to get the information into the system properly and in particular, get it over to Congress. And hey, it was you know far more achieved by the fact that it was released to the world. By the president. By the president. So... That's great. So Fantastic. When, so when you sit back and you see everything that's unfold, that has unfolded since the announcement that there is a whistleblower concerned about a phone call. I mean, that's how it first came down. There's a whistleblower concerned about a phone call. We didn't know much else. And it's in the last month has spiraled into something just completely wild. Were you surprised by how quickly it's, it's, uh, it's, it's exploded? Well, I think anyone who's been dealing with this administration since January 2017 is probably no longer surprised about how things <laughs> seem to spiral, <laughs> as well as disappear, hey as well as disappear very quickly. Yes, too. that's true too. Yeah, um, it, it, it's 
you know, there's going to be a number of really interesting books written about this administration from legal angle, policy angle, psychological angle, uh, media, you know, journalism angle, just of how yeah, I'm gonna things title my, my autobiography, Fuck Them All. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's fascinating in, in so many different ways. Um, I mean, we, we will see um, how things develop. Um, you know, again, I will say for most whistleblowers uh, in my 25 plus years of experience of dealing with them, generally do not envision what the future holds or how significant their allegations might be. Now, most of the time, they never really go anywhere or they, you know, they don't go outside their agency. Um, maybe Congress is minimally interested in it. You know, but I've had cases, you know, I've had whistleblower cases on the front page of the New York Times before uh, from the very beginning days of my career. And, you know, that case had actually created congressional hearings and then, you know, died away, faded away after a period of time. Uh, it wasn't seized every single day, obviously. And at the end of the day, I'm not sure if it made a lot of difference, quite frankly. Um, you know, this case, I don't think anybody necessarily expected what was going to happen. In fact, if the DNI had not withheld the complaint, which was just a formality to pass on the ICIG's urgent concern determination, if, they, if he had not withheld that from the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, it might not have picked up the steam it, it had. And if Adam Schiff hadn't publicized or somebody publicized the letter he sent to the DNI, uh, then, or the acting DNI, uh, then it might not have grasped it either. Because we file urgent concerns all the time with IGs, and nothing ever happens. Yeah, well, this was a little different. When we come back, we'll talk more about how it is different. And we're back. And Mark, I guess the uh, I, I guess the thing that everybody's going to want to know is, it, all right. So, you found out about the whistleblower KPU hired you. I hired Andrew Bakai, yeah. who, who uh, then brought, brought me in. in. Literally a month, five five or so weeks later. And since then, since and, and in the last month, of course, as we've talked about, has exploded into. Uh, well, now we have hearings or some hearings. Uh, impeachment inquiries going on in Congress. So what's the future for the whistleblower? Where does it go from here? What's the process? Hopefully the future is has no relevance to the current investigation or wherever it goes. You know, the whistleblowers have done what they needed to do. They did fulfill their constitutional obligations. Their oath is to the Constitution. Their oath is not to any individual president or leadership. It's to the Constitution. They fulfilled that, and then it was up to, in this case, the ICIG to determine what to do going forward, then the DNI, and then now the Congress on both sides. You know, we have made it very clear that we are handling this in a nonpartisan manner. Uh, our communications, in fact, with the oversight committees have been bipartisan in nature throughout the entire time. Uh, we, we've made it clear that any interactions will be the same for the majority and the minority to the extent we can control that, uh, as well as the same between the House and the Senate. Uh, but ultimately, 
where it's going from here on in has nothing to do with us. We're, we're not advocating a particular position or side. Uh, frankly, we don't want anything to do with it. We would just as soon go back and deal with whatever our daily lives are and representing other clients and the whistleblowers would just rather go back to their lives. Would just go back, would stay, continue to stay in their own lives. So to, to rehash it, so the whistleblowers have, the multiple whistleblowers have come forward. That information has been taken. DNI had it. It's now before Congress. Does Congress have all of the whistleblowers complaint? They can look over it. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's you know anyone who looks at the complaint, there were there was a very small portion that was classified, remained classified, but Congress has that, and they they know what's behind the redacted. Portions. So the Republicans, the Democrats, all know what the whistleblowers have said. Right. No, I, I, yeah, as far as the complaint, I yeah. don't I don't know what information Michael Atkinson, the ICIG, provided in closed session to the oversight committees. So we, we have all seen the public letter that Atkinson submitted with the whistleblower complaint. He has also appeared at least once before both committees, as I recall. And of course, other than what has leaked out from those committees from either the Republicans or the Democrats or both. Uh, you know, I don't know the details of what was provided, but presumably the Congress has uh, substantially, if not in its entirety, whatever the, the two whistleblowers that have been discussed publicly know. And there's more than just the two that have been discussed publicly. That's, um, that's my understanding. And so here we have, all right, the multiple whistleblowers have come forward. That information was to the DNI and is before Congress, and we don't know what additional information was given in closed session. Right. It's safe to say, however, that the White House, being that there are Republicans on these committees, are well aware of what the Republicans know. It would be consistent with how our government has functioned for decades if not centuries right <laughs> that the party in the congress would be telling the same party in the white house what's going on I so mean, it's presumably dis so it's so it, it it strikes me and correct me if i'm wrong that it's a bit disingenuous for members of this administration to come forward and say hey we need to know who this is because we don't we can't ascertain what they've said i, I tweeted retweeted uh something earlier where Congressman Jordan was making, Jim Jordan, Republican, was... Yes, we know him well. ...making a comment about that Adam Schiff... No, only one member in Congress knows the identity of the whistleblower, and that's Adam Schiff, and, you know, he must respond to whatever, whatever. And uh, Andrew, my co-counsel, the lead counsel, tweeted and I retweeted, and saying, you know, well, actually, as far as we know, no member of Congress knows the identity of the whistleblower... And even if so, who cares? What, what's the relevance? Uh, why aren't we focusing on the facts? And I think I, I ended it with something like, you know, don't you want future whistleblowers in a Democratic administration, Congressman? Yeah, well, <laughs> well you know what they say. It, 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 well, you know better than I. If the facts are with you, argue the facts. If the facts aren't with you, we'll attack the, uh, the prosecutor. Yeah, we always say so. If the facts are not with you, you argue the law. If right. the law is not with you, you argue the facts. <laughs> if neither the facts or the law nor the law are with you, you pound your fist on the table. 
And that is, in effect, what's that's, being done today. That's seemingly what is being done today. So tell me a little bit about, you've restricted yourself, to, like we said at the beginning, this is the first long in-depth interview you've done on this. But you have tweeted out a few things, and you've spoken with reporters. What have you been tweeting out? How have you been trying to clarify what's been coming at you that's not accurate? Well, the, the one thing, the, the, the prominent thing that's not accurate, which we touched upon, was this notion that somehow we're this liberal activist lawyer's out to get the president of the United States. Now, I've I, you know, publicly criticized the president of the United States many, many times, and I have sued the president of the United States, uh, and I hey, have I've done, done that, that with other presidents <laughs> of the United States, yes. So, uh, and we should say, I represent you in, <laughs> yeah. in FOIA litigation. It's, not, yeah. you know, it's nothing to do with substantive policies or anything. It's just Freedom of Information Act litigation. And at the same time, I represent... The, you know, the Wall Street Journal and MSNBC and the USA Today and Daily Beast and Politico and formerly the Daily Caller, uh, you know, it's, it runs the gamut. So, you know, it we, we've tried to make sure that everything stays on track and stays with the facts. We don't want to be the story. We don't want the whistleblower to be the story because n neither of that is. It's the facts that are the story. And we don't care where the facts go. We just wanted the facts to be known. And then let others take it from there. You sure you didn't go to journalism school? That's our mantra. Yeah. <laughs> law like, school, journalism school. I think just we're three years. I, I don't know what journalism school, how, how many years journalism school. Forever. You're always yeah. in. Well, the same as a lawyer. Once, yeah, you, we have, we once have, you're out, you're always in school. Continuing legal education all the time, depending on what state we're barred in. <laughs> or what court you're in. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, in making the story about you, and in making the story about the whistleblower. Today, the President of the United States tweeting out, where's the whistleblower? What does that tell you? Well, it, it's a deflection. It is, it's a distraction. And our, our common response, actually, we're, each time, especially when it's trying to get at the relevance of the whistleblower, I have often repeated the very wise words of Chris Wallace at Fox News, who I think has been doing a very good job of reporting on this, where Chris Wallace himself was tweeting out and commenting publicly that the allegations in the whistleblower complaint have largely been substantiated. So why does one then need the whistleblower? So I'm with Chris Wallace. Uh, that's my question. I mean, as I said in a tweet in answering the president's tweet, what you have, your your transcript said it, your chief of staff said it, you've said it. Why do you need the whistleblower to say it? Yeah, and we're not we're not advocates on a particular side here. And one of the things I think I started saying, but I'm not sure if I, I don't think I finished the thought was, especially when we have whistleblowers from the intelligence community, we often don't know what the substantive allegations are because we don't necessarily have the proper security clearance to know the information. And part of protecting any whistleblower within the IC, the intelligence community, is to ensure that they don't do anything through the process that would be in violation of law or internal agency regulation, whatever agency it might be. So they can't give us classified information. So most times with a whistleblower complaint, with all the ones I've handled over the years, I don't necessarily become an advocate for what the substantive complaint is. That's not necessarily my job. Now, 
Your job is to make sure that the, the complaint whistle, is heard. The complaint is heard and the whistleblower is protected. Now, if there are substantive attacks on the whistleblower or the information, I may substantively respond uh, as part of the representation. And I may have a view one way or the other. In fact, often there have been numerous cases over the years, including in whistleblower cases, where I didn't agree with my client and I didn't believe actually what their reasonable belief was. That was irrelevant. Because again, just like you said, my job was to ensure the information the, the whistleblower had was brought to the attention of the proper authorities and that the whistleblower was lawfully protected in rendering that protected disclosure. And that's not changed. That's, that's, that has not changed. And, well, the, I had a, a run-in, well, I won't say run-in, but I had a conversation with a member of the GOP who said, point blank, the whistleblower not coming forward tells you they're lying. I mean, it's so absurd. I'm not even sure how to res respond to that because, again, I know I, how I, I responded, I, but I, I like your response. <laughs> I, I respond that Chris Wallace of Fox News has made it very clear that he believes, and I agree with him 100%, that substantially all of the whistleblower complaints have been validated through the reading of the transcript, summary transcript of the call and the other witnesses who are uh, have far more knowledge about the substance of the situation than the whistleblowers ever did. What do you think when Ambassador Taylor came forward? I, I mean, I think it's been great that any of them are willing to come forward, especially if they're being directed that they're not permitted to come forward, uh, yet still are, because these are consummate public servants. And what do you think of the information he provided? Yeah, you know, I don't even want to get into what I think substantially about it because my opinion is no different. No, in regards no, no to your better than anybody else. In regards to your client, wasn't that a? Gee, there's another reason why my client didn't need to be exposed. Was there that? Well, I I think in the sense if you're referring to the notion that those who have been coming forward, and and most notably Ambassador Taylor, who is now being attacked as some sort of partisan hack. Right. When he has served Republican and Democratic administrations honorably, he, honorably, he is a career uh, foreign service officer. He was asked to come specifically back and serve in the acting. Like people keep saying acting ambassador. There's no such term as acting <laughs> ambassador. It's charge d'affaires. Uh, that's been a little frustrating. Some of us in the weeds about things, <laughs> but the act, the, the uh, charge d'affaires. Uh, for Ukraine, and so it is disconcerting to see dedicated and honorable public servants who have done nothing but promote the national interests of our country be attacked by anyone uh, for completely baseless partisan purposes. So yeah, in that sense, if you are watching what is happening to Ambassador Taylor, you, one can imagine reasonably what it would be like for any of the whistleblowers to be identified and what storm is going to befall them in not only their professional, but their personal lives. And, and that's sobering in this day and age, I think. If you think about the fact that the very, the very idea behind a whistleblower is so that this information can get out here and there is some protection for that person. It's being challenged in this 
I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it being challenged if you've got the President of the United States tweeting out, where's the whistleblower? Isn't it isn't that on its face, prima facie evidence of someone trying to, to get rid of the Whistleblower Act? Uh, it or is, at least it, to render it moot. Any effort by anyone to threaten, intimidate, or harass any whistleblower is compromising and undermining the whistleblower system. And, and isn't that tweet doing that? I, I, I think reasonably people certainly would look at it that way. Uh, it is. Do you look at it that way? It, it is incredibly unhelpful, and if it were happening by an executive branch of management official, it, it would be subject for investigation by that person's agency as reprisal. There's, and, there's no and, way around it. Yeah, and that, this is the chief executive of the United States doing it. I can't imagine a pressure point more potent. It, it, obviously, someone who has, what's he, up to 65 million followers, whatever it might be. I don't know how many of them are bots, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or people like myself who's following him. Yeah, I'm uh, following him too. So, you know, to see what he says, uh, <laughs> just like... The, the line in Howard's the movie, Howard Stern movie, all those years back, which I always loved, is like NBC did a survey of how many people were listening. NBC wanted to fire Howard Stern because he was so crass and right. everybody was freaking out. And they did a survey of, you know, why was everybody listening to him? And it, and it <laughs> was it so to crass. see what he would say next. <laughs> yeah. And and what about the people who hate him? Why are they listening to him? To, to see, see what, what he, he would, would say, say next. next. And yeah. it was just one of the funniest moments in the film, which I presume was true. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it is incredibly disconcerting. And again, I, I reiterate the basic point. You know, we're trying to protect the, the integrity of the whistleblower system. That system is designed to, pro, to protect the national interests of the United States for, for you, for me, for everyone, for Republicans, for Democrats, and anybody else who falls wherever else they might be ideologically. And we, the United States... Uh, we're apparently one of the first, if not the first, country to pass whistleblower protection legislation during the Continental Congress. It's obviously nothing like what it is today, and there's still many avenues. Oh, there might be more wigs today, but <laughs> yeah, right. There's there's a, <laughs> a great, lot more makeup. Right, a, a great deal of improvement that could be had to the whistleblower system, which generally has worked well so far in this case, not notwithstanding some obstacles that we overcame. But you know, we are here to try and protect the integrity of the system. That system needs to remain intact so that more whistleblowers will come forward in successive years for in our lives, in our children's lives, in our grandchildren's lives, and so on. Doesn't the President of the United States tweeting out, where's the whistleblower? In fact, couldn't that be a, a discouragement for future It undermines the integrity of the system. We'll have some final thoughts when we come back. And uh, once again, we're back. And Mark, I really do appreciate you sitting down and talk with us. The final thoughts. Um, do you think the whistleblower system is sound, even though it's being attacked? Can it be defended? Is it going to be okay? I hope so. Uh, 
with I, I like a lot of things in this administration that have risen to hysterical proportions. One <laughs> has to hope that there's going to be a calm whenever this administration ends and sounder, saner minds prevail on both sides. Uh, we'll see. Who knows? Uh, there is no doubt that even this case has identified procedural flaws in the whistleblower system that need to be have their gaps filled by Congress. I'd also like to think and see the president of the United States in the future, whoever that president would be, to adopt uh, as a policy uh, enhanced whistleblower protections to include issues regarding anonymity. Uh, so there's no doubt the system has serious flaws. We've been arguing and advocating that for years that, that there are that need to be fixed. But I will say, especially I guess as a final thought, that this case has shown that the system actually can work and that if one follows the law, the information that concerns them can be brought to the appropriate authorities and one does not have to leak classified information to the media for purposes of getting attention to whatever that cause might be or, or reasonable belief regarding a perceived misconduct. Uh, again, there are gaps that need to be corrected and addressed, but all, all in all, if I had to assess how the system has worked to today, the system has actually worked pretty well. Well, you mentioned it, so now I have to ask it. What do you think are the flaws that need to be addressed? Uh, well, I mean, some of them, again, you know, on a technical standpoint, like for an example, going into the weeds, the, the, the law allows for an IG, an inspector general, to render a determination of an urgent concern. And once that happens, the IG then provides a copy of, of information, doesn't have to necessarily be the complaint, but information to their executive head. In this case, it was the ICIG giving it to the acting DNI. It is a procedural ICIG is, Inspector General, yeah. uh, in, in, Intelligence Community Inspector General, the DNI's IG Inspector and General. And DNI is Director of National Intelligence. We know these things, but uh, yeah. we've been we've been glossing over it all night. So I thought I'd at least lay it down. So there. the law is just pro forma once the information goes to the head of the agency to be transmitted to Congress, to the oversight committees, in this case, the intelligence committees in both the House and the Senate. The, the executive head has seven days to do that. That is where the process broke down here, where the acting DNI, based upon instructions from the Department of Justice, challenged the authority of the inspector general and whether or not this information was within their jurisdiction. So the transmittal never happened. That's where the entire dispute arose. What the law did not take into account was that fact pattern. The law takes into account what would normally happen, which would be that the inspector general would disagree with the whistleblower and say it's not an urgent concern so that it would never be transmitted to Congress. And the statute in, in, uh, addresses the statute and the, and the procedures that were put in place by the Obama administration address that fact pattern so that the whistleblower can then say, fine, you don't agree with me. 
I individually still want to go to Congress, you need to facilitate that transmission or communication for me. And that would be required. And, and we've done that before. It didn't take into account what happened now. So that, which is? Which is that the inspector general agreed with the whistleblower that it's an urgent concern, transmitted it to the executive head, the acting DNI, and then the acting DNI refused to transmit it. There's then no provision or protocol for what the whistleblower can do. Now, we created one. And which we, was? Which was to, and the letters are up on compassrosepllc.com, uh, which is Andrew Bakai's website for his law firm. We rewrote to the acting DNI, I'm trying to remember which one it was addressed to. We wrote to the director of national intelligence or the office of the director and, and also to the IG and said, we want instructions on how we can bring the whistleblower and or the complaint to the House and Senate. But before we ever had to do that to get proper process, the President of the United States declassified the complaint. And it was provided, actually first it was provided to the House and the Senate, and then it was released publicly within 20, you know, less than 24 hours. And then the, afterwards came the, uh, the um, transcript of the... Yeah, then the summary of the, the transcript, however one... It's not, a, and it says it's not, not a verbatim transcript. Yeah, it's not, and it says right on, when we were given that, actually, when it first came out, we were called, here's a transcript of the telephone call, and then you look at it, and right on it, it says, this is not a transcript. But as far as I understand, this has been, this is how it normally is done. So what happens in the future? You you want to make sure that there's a codified uh, method in place in case this type of right. scenario In case today. transmittal of the information underlying the complaint was denied Congress, there needs to be a congressional mechanism, a statutory mechanism put in place that nonetheless still clears the path lawfully properly for the whistleblower or whistleblowers to go to Congress with their information and they are still protected from reprisal. So the fact that this is public at all, we have Donald Trump to thank. Uh, yes. I, um, although, again, one clearly never anticipated that this would ever be a problem, and it never has been before. Uh, and I, I don't think, I, I don't think anyone has been able to address or provide an example that this was ever a problem. Again, in most of the cases, certainly cases I've ever handled or know of, it was never an issue to get the information to Congress, and most of the time Congress never did anything with it. Right, well. <laughs> For whatever reason. We live in different times. Well, and uh, of course, as yeah, sort of Republican yeah. Congress and Democrat right. Congress, you know, whichever. But as circumstances have dictated or shown, uh, with the information that's come out since then, there was a a reason for this information to come to, to be in the public domain. Yeah. I mean, I, it's clearly had a disruptive effect. Maybe that's an understatement of how to do it, but you know, depending on your perspective, it's a positive disruptive effect or a negative disruptive effect. Either way, it's disruptive. It's disruptive either way. Yeah. I mean, that's why every day of the last month I've been consumed with this case. <laughs> As we all have at the white house, despite deflections, it is the talk of, this particular case is often spoken of. Uh, uh, no doubt. And and look, there's been reporting, you know, everything I'm saying is, is already publicly out there. Uh, it's been reported by both the New York Times and the Washington Post that 
you know, there, this was a topic of conversation before the phone call and right after the phone call among many people, including up to and including John Bolton, the National Security Advisor. When, when you heard that, I'll end with this. When you heard that he described what was going on in Ukraine, uh, the shadow uh, diplomacy as a drug deal, how did that strike you? Well, I'm, given that I represent numerous people inside the federal government or contractors who are losing their security clearances merely because they took a single puff of marijuana, perhaps even lawfully in whatever state they might have been in at the time, <laughs> Yeah, it seems to pale in comparison to the National Security Advisors describing something as a drug deal. Well, thank you for putting that in perspective. Where do we go from here? Where do you, uh, like you said, you just want to fade it. You want this person to yeah, fade in. Ho hopefully, where we go from here has nothing to do with me or the whistleblowers, and the rest of the country will be consumed as I'm sure all of us will be in one way or the other with what happens next. But the role that has been played so far has run its course for us. And there, there needs not be any future role unless, you know, until I get the next whistleblower in the next case. Yeah, there you go. Well, listen, Mark, thanks. I, I, I always enjoy our time together. Always. Thank you, And Brian. thank you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we'll catch you next time on Just Ask the Question.